0: Welcome to Have You Ever, a podcast presented by Integrated Financial Group. This is a podcast where we talk to successful people about their life experiences and about advice they have for aspiring individuals.
1: We had the opportunity to talk with Ken and it was a real pleasure to have him here and and on our podcast. In talking with Ken, it was his sense of creating a space or I would call it a community gathering that I loved. His whole idea started to take shape with a lot of effort on his part. And I love that it's now living proof of his vision. Ken's humble about how it came about and then all the awards the city's received since, so I think you'll really enjoy that part. Additionally, his wife's love of sushi resulted in a very successful venture into being a restaurateur. He started uh, Mint Sushi and Tapas right before COVID and I love how he shares his intentional foresight and experience about really a bootstrap startup that's now resulted in four locations and winning best of state every year since. Um, the last part, be sure to listen to it. He talks about his formula for success that, that I think is just really genuine. And uh, it's just a great pleasure to talk with Ken. Hope you enjoy this as much as we do.
2: Hi, my name is Ken Melby. I'm an entrepreneur, a real estate developer, free diver, and a father. I enjoy building places where people work, live, and play, and businesses where people can go and gather especially now where the internet takes up so much space in people's lives. I think there's a lot of value and frankly, a lot of money to be made in creating places authentically where people can go spend time with each other. And that's getting harder and harder to do. You know, malls are struggling. Offices are struggling. There's a lot of remote work. So finding places where people can have an authentic experience is getting harder and harder to do And frankly, none of the times I've done it has it been the optimal use of the capital. Um, They've all turned out fantastic, but there's always been a better deal sitting on the table than creating a sense of place. But the power has been in seeing the longer term vision and creating that sense of space and letting it compound on each other. And uh, that I think has been one of the more interesting things is watching it play out above and beyond what the numbers would suggest. So the first time we looked at this project was 2010 and it was being proposed and not well received by the community as um, apartments. I got involved because the community had successfully sued to stop that. And we owned the corner parcel as a family. And I was tasked with figuring out what to do with it that would get through the community because we had owned it since 2000 and it was just sitting as vacant land. And, you know, holidays got a particularly passionate group of citizens that really care what happens to their community. And they were already, I would say, a little riled up. You know, frankly, I can't take a lot of the credit for the original idea. It was proposed originally by... Mark Hampton with Rimrock Construction, he came in with a design um, for a mixed-use office and retail pad, and he and I sat down and we walked through what that would mean to the community, and you know, frankly, that's what I wanted too, uh, is I wanted places together, places to eat, and it took from there until 2014, working with another developer, Tom Henroyd, and Mark Hampton, and an architect group, a designer, and countless city meetings. I think there were 11 of them. And those were all the public meetings, dozens of, you know, other meetings on top of that. It was a real process. Um, The village, you know, it existed as effectively nothing. And then taking that to a concept and then creating a sense of space and a gathering spot, and a grocery store, which you know also serves as community gathering. In fact, I would say even a lot more so than uh, a lot of the artificial ones people try and put together. Everyone goes to buy their groceries. That's where they run into their neighbors, and their friends, and their business associates. So, putting together a place where people gather and creating a spot where you can exist in your community, I think, was really really interesting to to me as a process the the thesis was really simple i found myself spending my money not in the town i was living in i was going to neighboring towns i was going to downtown i was you know going on dates not in my community i was not eating lunch in my community and that felt like such a waste to not have a spot nearby that where you could gather and spend time with people in fact Uh, you know, one of, one of the more interesting things is we ride our bikes to the coffee shop in our community that we built like selfishly. That was really one of the things is I wanted to, you know, I wanted to interact in places where I could bike to, where I could walk to, and it resonated with a lot of people. Um, we get our groceries there on Sunday. We get coffee there on the weekdays. We eat dinner there. We opened a sushi restaurant there. I think one of the things we did differently than most developers is we went and personally invited tenants to come to the project. We barely used a broker for the retail. We went, sat down, ate at probably 50 restaurants across the state, found the best ones, the ones who were looking for, for expansion that had, I would say, the right energy, and went and invited them to come in. Um, the first one to come in was Caputo's. So we went and talked to Tony Caputo and he negotiated for a hard bargain. (laughs) And the idea was, is that once we had the cachet of his name, the rest of the center would fill up. And it turned out that was true. Um, Once people saw that what we were creating, I think it was very well received in the community. And we were able to really snowball that into the second phase, which was the Harmon's Grocery, the Orange Theory, you know, saving Great Harvest. And that was, you know, we were able to do that a few years later. And really create a a strong town corridor and the idea was is if we built the retail component it would snowball into holiday kind of self-sustaining with its own hiring condos additional retail um, additional multifamily and that's all really proven out Um, it's really revitalized downtown holiday in fact it was it was the Envision Utah Uh, development of the year in, I believe, 2016, once it was finally finished. In 2019, I was approached by a previous tenant of mine, and he was having a partner dispute on a sushi restaurant he had, and he wanted to go a different direction. He had been my tenant for about four years, And when we parted ways, I had given him my phone number and told him if he ever had any development work he needed done to give me a call. I didn't hear from him for four years. And when he called, he took me up on the offer. And that was essentially saying, hey, I don't know what this looks like. Can you give me your professional opinion? He was looking to separate from his partner, and he really didn't need a lot of money to do it. So I approached the family board and said, hey, I think... This is a reasonable risk-reward deal. I think they rightly said, no, restaurants are dangerous and that's not what we do. That is not our core competency. I said, you're absolutely right. So I approached my wife and I said, hey, the family's not willing to do this, but I think this is a really favorable risk-reward on helping this man out. And sushi happens to be her favorite food and she had saved her own money. And I said, if you if you put in half, I'll put in half. She reluctantly agreed. And that's when mint tapas and sushi was born. Completely new concept from what had been existing. And it was really the chef's way of creatively expressing himself with Japanese cuisine in a way that is not so bound by rules as normal sushi rules are. Everyone generally has a sense of the you know, main sushi rolls. People tend not to like a lot of variety from what they're expecting and they certainly don't want a big variance in price point. Everyone's got an anchored expectation on what they're going to get. Sushi has been fairly commoditized in that way, uh, at least at the middle price point. His idea was, is, hey, there's great flavors here that people just won't let me explore with. He said, I can do fantastic things with this food. It just doesn't need all the rice. You know it can exist in a different form in small plates in, in the japanese Tapa style and we tried it and we loved it and we invested and it was going fantastic for about a year and COVID hit and i i looked at my wife and i said well we almost made it that was great you, you can't win them all i'm sorry about this and we actually found out that you know we because we had to let the whole staff go basically And our partner and his uh, fiance ran it entirely by themselves, the two of them, for three months. And we made more money during those three months because we had takeout. We were one of the few places doing Japanese takeout than we were the previous months. I mean, we were extremely profitable. And once that happened and we saw that we could weather the adversity, uh, you know, especially when you see a partner uh, who's willing to dig deep, When times are rough, I think there's a, I think there's a, a trust that develops there that when, when the next time comes around, they'll do the same thing. Um, so when he approached me and said, Hey, I want a second location. I said, great. We're in the worst time possible in the restaurant industry. People are failing left and right. Spaces aren't filling. Who knows what COVID's going to do? Let's go buy a space. Let's go rent a space. Uh, and so we went aggressively into the market. And I was able to use the skills from my day job for commercial real estate development and leasing and go really bootstrap our leasing you know, our, our search for a new space. So we went in the depths of the pandemic, January of 2021. So almost one year into the pandemic, we signed our second lease. Um, and it was well under market. Um, we also didn't have a lot of capital and this was a very new idea to restaurants. That's, I, I would say in my experience, that's generally where a lot of restaurateurs fail. They can spend all their time at one and it works. And then as soon as they go to two and their time's divided, they need a manager watching it rather than them personally. A lot of the restaurants don't survive that phase. So I think we were justifiably nervous about the transition. So we really bootstrapped everything. My wife did the interior design. We did a lot of the work ourselves. We saved the majority of the restaurant furniture and, and fixtures. We bought used kitchen equipment, and we got the whole thing done for very inexpensively. I think all in, we were $108,000 to open a brand new restaurant, which is unheard of. I mean, a normal restaurant from new space is between 700 and a couple million. So to do it for as inexpensively as we did was really an achievement. And everyone came together to make that happen. We were able to go from there, and we, we've been profitable every month since, from our first month through in, in both of those restaurants. Now, that is not typical in the restaurant space, and I would say that every once in a while you'll find a concept of any kind. You know, It can be a restaurant, it can be a hair salon, it can be take your pick. And every once in a while, you find something that just has a undefinable vibe to it that people a frequency that people will match. And for whatever reason, that this this concept Mint had that, and we've just had fantastic responses ever since. That year, we applied and won best of state for contemporary sushi and tapas and we've won every year since um, which has been very validating and fantastic we were able to take that those two and i was able to leverage you know some of our existing real estate and when we had a vacancy come up in the village that we had built there it, it felt like a natural extension to offer it to the concept now obviously I have to sit to the side on those leasing negotiations and I have to put someone else in charge because I can't represent both sides. So we did, uh, you know, we, we put a neutral third party in and said, Hey, this needs to be a fair deal for both sides. So we did that and we were able to open our third location third in three years, um, in some closely held real estate. And that location has also done spectacularly. Um, that one we opened July of 2022, so we're about eight months in. And since then, our name has become more and more well known, and we were actually sought out by a group in Sugarhouse for our fourth location. Um, that one will open probably August of this year, which will put us at four and four years. I think after that, I would like to take a small break. It's been an absolutely fantastic ride. And probably one of the best things is we were able to take an idea and very little capital and turn it into what has been an incredibly enriching business, both in terms of community, in terms of partner wealth, and in terms of general satisfaction, life satisfaction, being able to go in and watch people eat at a place you helped create has been endlessly satisfying for me certainly far and above any monetary rewards associated with it. After six months or a year, you start finding regulars who come on Tuesdays and other ones who come on Sundays and uh, and servers who become friends with some of the patrons and bartenders who you know will stick around after work and they'll hang out with all the other staff members. And same with the sushi chefs. Uh, you get to know them by name and you get to know all these people who – whose livelihoods and whose weekends and whose date nights, family outings, all come through this one central location. And I think that's been a really fascinating thing to watch happen organically, even a little closer than say real estate development. I would say if there was one thing I wanted my daughter to learn from me, it would be that you succeed when you help other people succeed. And if you approach your life rather than asking what you can get, but what you can give. And if you approach life like that, not only I think will you be successful, but you'll find that you'll have a lot more enjoyment because you'll, you'll be able to share in other people's success. Um, that I wish I could take credit for this. This is something I learned from my dad. It's something that embodied his life. He was always looking for how to help other people be successful, and he succeeded right along with them. And watching him put that into practice for 30 years, I was able to watch him do that, really informed my core value of, this is not a zero sum game. If you go in with the intent of other people succeeding, you're almost certainly going along for the ride.
0: Ken really does have some amazing experiences he actually told one more story that we really want to include about spearfishing in Mexico it's not specifically related to the other stories he told but we still wanted to include it here as some sort of bonus content so please enjoy
2: I would say my biggest adventure has been related to spearfishing in and baja mexico and specifically free dive spearfishing which is hunting a fish underwater on one breath and that has been simultaneously one of the most relaxing and stressful experiences of my entire life especially for my wife it's incredibly fun you get to see beautiful underwater landscapes that almost no one gets to see you are exercising for six seven eight hours a day and you get to bring home dinner. It also happens to be one of the most humane and selective forms of harvesting fish from the ocean. You only shoot and kill what you intend to shoot. And personally, I only shoot things I intend to eat. It's not been as common lately with an eight-year-old child, but I hope to get back into it seriously in the very near future one of the best adventures was we bought a boat in Louisiana and drove it from Louisiana to Utah and Utah to Southern Baja, California over the course of round about three and a half weeks. We would drive for three to four hours, stop, camp, wake up the next morning, launch the boat, spearfish for six, seven, eight hours get back, drive the car and boat down the Baja, camp again, and go spearfishing again. And that was an incredible trip. You get to see all sorts of incredible sights, um, sharks, whales, dolphins. You know, you're diving to 40, 50, 60, 70 feet deep, and you're seeing caves that almost no one in this world gets to see. Caves and and coral and fish and you're spending so much time in the water so much more than even if you were scuba diving even if the duration per dive is a little less your total cumulative time is so much that you get to really experience uh what some of these biomes are in a way that i've never been able to replicate since Um, additionally you have to be very calm to successfully dive and hunt. Your breathing needs to be calm, your heart rate needs to be low, and that can be a little challenging when you're doing something, you know, like hunting. Or, you know, if there's a say a shark or a sea lion nearby, that can be difficult to keep your breathing under control. So it's an excellent exercise in conscious meditation.
0: Thanks, Ken. This really was an incredible interview. The part that he talks about starting the restaurant during COVID really reminded me of the people who were buying real estate in 2008. When everyone else was panicking, some people saw the opportunity. And it really goes to show that every downturn in the market, every time people panic, there is an opportunity that success really comes when preparation meets opportunity and when someone has the intelligence to recognize those opportunities. I thought that was really, really cool. James, what was your biggest aha?
1: To think about my aha about everything, it actually is part of the bonus feature. Ken talks about adding two things. One, a way to be relaxed while working out and being stressed. And if you've ever been in a meeting with Ken, he's like just totally calm about things, but underneath, there's all of these you know, wheels turning and mechanisms and things putting in place that are very intentional. And so it's kind of like watching somebody kite surf that's been doing it for a long time. It just looks smooth and easy, but there's a lot of skill and ability to make it look like that. And I think maybe if I can just relax a little bit more in my own life, that's what I would take away is involve a lot of people, look to have success with other people, and kind of enjoy the ride of it.
0: Integrated Financial Group is a boutique financial planning firm and multifamily office. We serve successful business owners and high net worth individuals and families. Our team helps clients better understand their financial options, create a well thought out strategy, and then be proactive to implement their ideal plan. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode.